last week, uh, Terry Anderson came by and shared a story with me that I want to share with you. I'm fairly certain it's a true story. Uh, the, the story is that a, a guy came to God and he said, God, I really want to win the lottery. And so, you know, in your word it says, if we ask for things in your name, you'll give it to us and I'm going to give all this money away and I'm going to serve the poor. And I just really think I, that's what I should be doing. And so, God, I want to win the lottery. So he, he prayed that prayer, really a heartfelt prayer, uh, and nothing happened. So the next day he prayed it again. And he said, God, I know you call me to pray with perseverance, like, like the woman with the unjust judge. So I'm going to keep praying this prayer. I want to win the lottery. And he, and he prayed to win the lottery every day that week. And then he prayed every day that month. And then he prayed every day for two months, three months, four months, five months, six months. It's been half a year. Every single day he's praying, God, I want to win the lottery. I'm going to do such great things with it. God, I want to win the lottery. He keeps praying. Nothing happens. He keeps praying. He keeps praying. Uh, one year goes by, and on the one-year anniversary uh, where he started praying this prayer, he's prayed it for 365 days in a row, he says, God, when are you going to answer my prayer? And at that moment, the heavens open, and a light shines down upon him, and he hears the voice of God audibly speak to him, saying, give me a break. Buy a ticket. <laughs> The moral of the story is not that God wants you to win the lottery, uh, but, but it does raise a really interesting question, right? The, the question it raises for me is, um, in our spiritual lives, what things are properly God's job and what things are properly our job? What's God's job and what's our job? Uh, and, and I think this is particularly the question that's at stake in this story of Abram and Sarai in our chapter today, uh, because I think what they end up doing is they take on God's duties for themselves, and they don't do the things that they're supposed to do. Uh, Abram and Sarah are married. They're supposed to be faithful to each other and faithful um, husband and wife. God's job is to fulfill His promise and create life. Uh, and, and they try to take on His job, right? They try to do God's job for Him. Now, when, when that happens, um, when God makes a promise and then we try to fulfill it, I'm going to call that a self-fulfilling prophecy. I know that's not what the phrase usually means, um, but I like the idea that sometimes God makes a promise to us and then we say, ooh, I have some good ideas on how we can make that happen, God. I'll help fulfill your prophecy, your promise to me. So I want to talk to this morning about how Abram and Sarai get it wrong and how we can get it right, how we can do our job properly and let God do His job properly and avoid the self-fulfilling prophecy of Genesis 16. So quite simply, Sarai and Abram's job is to trust and obey. That's it. God wants them to trust and God wants them to obey. God's job in this story, quite simply, is to see and to do. Abram and Sarai, trust and obey. God, see and do. And we're going to see that um, that gets inverted. Uh, so, we have some interesting caveats about our characters in this story. Um, we have a, a new character named Hagar, 
And in this story, Hagar is almost always introduced with uh, a subtitle. She's almost always called Hagar the Egyptian maidservant or Hagar the Egyptian slave, the Egyptian female slave. And we are reminded again and again of her her status. This is a story about power and how we use power. And so, the fact that she's a slave is very significant. But so is the fact that she's an Egyptian slave. The fact that she's an Egyptian slave means that Abram got her, he purchased her by selling his wife to Pharaoh when they were in Egypt. We were told that Pharaoh gave them male and female slaves at that time. And so, um, this whole story Every time we hear Hagar, we're reminded of what Abram did, the sin of selling his wife to Pharaoh. Uh, And then we get some really interesting reminders about the covenant that Sarai and Abram have. Every time that we hear Sarai's name, almost every time, we're reminded that she is the wife of Abram. Uh, And and it really almost becomes, uh, comical isn't the word, but but abrasive, right? So we're told, verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife bore him no children. And so, uh, verse 3, after Sarah, Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave him to her husband, Abram, as a wife, right? Again and again, we're reminded of this covenant that they have. Uh, and, and it's going to become overwhelmingly clear quickly um, that, that there are power dynamics and that there are sins and that there are broken covenants littered throughout the story of Genesis 16. But behind all of them is one really simple causal factor. We're told it's been 10 years since Abram and Sarai got back to the promised land, 10 years after they left Egypt and returned to the land of Canaan. And all this time they've been waiting, waiting for God to fulfill His promise. And Maybe after the first few months or the first year or the first five years, they said, hey, we're going to keep trusting in God, but it's been 10 years. And at this point, it seems like they are ready to take things into their own hands. So, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about um, God's promises to us, um, just as God made promises to Abram and Sarai, so He makes promises to us. Uh, And just like they sometimes take them into their own hands, we have been known to do the same. Uh, And so, I came across this great video of a list of God's promises. They're not… it's not an exhaustive list, but it does a great job capturing some of the goodness that God promises, not just to the covenant couple, but to all of us. I want to share that with you. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am working all things for your good. I will withhold no good thing from you. I am your shield and your great reward. I am your light and your salvation. I am the stronghold of your life. I will give you eternal life. I will give you abundant life. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. I will give good gifts to those who ask me, and I will give strength to the weary, power to the weak. I am close to the brokenhearted, and I will comfort those who mourn. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will hear you, forgive you, and heal you. I will be found by those who seek me, 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will listen to you. I will fight for you. I will set you free and I will not change. I will redeem your life from the pit and crown you with love and compassion. I will finish the good work I have begun in you. I will never blot your name out of the book of life. I will come back and take you to be with me. I will deliver you and you will honor me. That's a beautiful testimony of all the goodness that God promises us. Uh, and, and as I think about my life, there are a number of places where I have felt like I've seen some of those promises fulfilled in my life. But if you're like me, there are also places where you are still waiting, still waiting for God to follow through on those promises. Um, today, Maybe you feel like you have that abundant life that Christ offers us, or maybe you're still waiting for that to come true in your life. Maybe you have the peace and the freedom and the joy that God offers us, or maybe you're still looking in anticipation of that becoming a reality in your story. There are folks today who do not feel uplifted by God's righteous right hand. There's folks today who do not feel that God is present in their life that look around in their pain and their brokenness and they say, God, I haven't seen this happen yet. And if that's where you are, then you're right where Abram and Sarai are. You're between the dreaming and the coming awake, between the promising and the fulfilling. And that's a hard place to be. Trusting and waiting in God's promises is hard. And our immediate response is to say, yeah, but maybe He hasn't fulfilled His promise yet because He needs me to do something more. Maybe God's forgotten and needs me to remind Him. Maybe God's going back on His Word because of something that I did. Maybe God is waiting for me to act. And so I want to tell you today... Um, all of those questions are the questions that Abram and Sarai ask. They're questions that every person of faith has asked from the beginning of the story of our Scriptures. But God doesn't need anything from you to fulfill His promise. God doesn't need anything from you to fulfill His promise. This is not a call to inaction. It's a call to faith action. It's a call to trust and obey God and let Him do what He says He will do in His time. Because the real tragedy of our stories comes when we try to self-fulfill His promises. When we say the waiting has become too hard, and we're going to take matters into our own hands. And that's what Abram and Sarai do in our story. After 10 years of waiting, Sarai says, hey, Yahweh has closed my womb. I'm not able to have kids, and so maybe, maybe we can have kids through my slave girl. Uh, and, and boy, I think we're supposed to notice how wrong this is. We're told again and again and again that they are, that Abram and Sarai are married, and this is going to be a violation of that marriage, that she is asking her husband to take a different woman as a wife. And yet, 
we kind of get it, right? We kind of get the idea that all that waiting is really hard. Uh, and then when things start to fall apart, when, when Hagar um, no longer can respect her mistress, um, and by the way, um, I think the implication here is she doesn't respect her mistress partly because of what her mistress did to her, right? I mean, this is a power dynamic. Hagar does not have a choice about whether she wants to sleep with Abram or not. Then Sarai is upset with Hagar, and this sense of injustice begins to grow in her, ironically. Uh, and then um, Sarai gets angry at Abram, and um, Abram is happy to pass the buck, right? Uh, you know what? Why don't you deal with it, honey? You know, whatever you want to do is fine. Um, oh, by the way, fun fact, um, there are two times in the Bible, I, I lied a few weeks ago, I forgot this one, there are two times in the Bible I can think of where um, we're told a man listens to his wife and gets in trouble for it. Um, one is Adam and Eve, and one is here. So two times out of a million where we get in trouble for listening to our wives, usually a good idea. Um, but here the point is not that listening to your wife is a problem. Here the point is that listening to anyone over God is a problem, right? God's voice is clear. God's expectations are clear. Be faithful to your spouse. And Abram listens to a different voice. By the way, um, we said this in our prayer of confession this morning, um, but as we think about the power dynamics of Sarai giving Hagar to Abram, we are supposed to be reminded of the power dynamics of Abram giving Sarai to Pharaoh. We're supposed to recognize that people that go through trauma have a tendency to traumatize others, that hurt people hurt other people. Uh, that sin creates a cycle, a spiral of pain and suffering that has to be broken or it will be repeated again and again. And so, um, Sarai, who has been hurt, hurts someone else. And Abram passes the buck, and he says, um, do with her however you please, except for he does not, oh my gosh, that is the worst translation. He does not say do with her however you please. He says, do with her what is good in your eyes. What's the Hebrew word for good? Tov, right? He says, do what is tov to her in your eyes. We've heard this story so many times, right? It's, it's the story of Pharaoh's servants seeing how Tove Sarai is in their eyes and so wanting her to be Pharaoh's wife. It's the story of the angels um, coming down to earth before the flood and seeing how Tove the women are in their eyes and taking them for wives. It's the story of Adam and Eve seeing the fruit on the tree and thinking it's Tove and that it's delightful to the eyes, right? It's, it's this idea that um, just as we are not called to do the work that is God's, so too we are not called to see the world and decide what is good or not good. And when we take on the responsibilities that belong to God properly, things go poorly. We shouldn't be the one to decide what's good in our own eyes. We shouldn't be the ones to decide who lives or who dies. We shouldn't be the ones to decide when it's okay to break God's commandments or when we should make new commandments. Our job is to trust and obey. And Abram and Sarai get out of their lane. And by the way, um, this is something we do all the time, don't we? 
uh, yeah, I know that the Bible says uh, maybe there's clear instruction about this thing, but I don't know that really applies to me. And I, and I think, you know, it's kind of old-fashioned, and, you know, I, I can pretty much tell on my own what's good and not good, and I, I'm pretty sure this is right. Or, um, boy, I'll, I'll teach him. I can't believe he came into my room and took my toys. I'll teach him. I'll make him respect me and respect my space, and um, I'll, I'll scare some sense into him. I'll make her regret what she did. We want to take the jobs of doing and seeing for ourselves instead of trusting and obeying as we're called to do. So, where's God in this story? I mean, it seems like for all these years of waiting, Abram and Sarai are looking around and not seeing, where's God in this story? Well, God shows up, not to Abram and Sarai, He shows up to Hagar. He shows up to a nobody, an Egyptian slave girl, after she's run away from her owners, her home, her baby daddy. And we get fascinating conversation. First of all, there's a new figure in the story. There's a new character called the angel of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord. Um, This is not a regular angel. I mean, there's angels all over the Bible, right? And they are messengers from God. They're spiritual beings. This is not a regular angel. And you can tell right from this story, right? Because in this story, when the angel of Yahweh speaks, then later we're told that Yahweh speaks, and then later Hagar calls the angel God, and the angel doesn't say, I'm not God, I'm a servant like other angels do. He says, yeah, that's cool, you can call me God. The, the angel of Yahweh, worthy of more conversation at some point, but the angel of Yahweh is um, the form that God takes that appears to be human in the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, God becomes completely human in Jesus, but this is God the Son, right? This is the Jesus before He's human on earth showing up in this moment for the first time to talk to Hagar, a nobody that nobody cares about. And Hagar gets really weird promises. I don't know if you noticed, but it's, it's, you know, it's weird stuff. Your son's going to be a wild donkey of a man, and he's going to have all kinds of conflict with everybody. Aren't you happy? Um, but she gets other amazing promises, right? The same promise that Abram and Sarai got. You know, from your son will come a multitude of nations. Uh, and there's, there's one line uh, in this passage that I don't think I've ever really noticed before, and it almost made the hair on my neck stand up when I read it. Um, the angel of the Lord says, now you have conceived and shall bear a son, and you shall call him Ishmael. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know that verse. And the angel said to the woman, you will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, right? It's the exact same verse, different name, same story. That uh, Ishmael, which means God hears, Ishmael is this testimony um, that, that in the worst part of Hagar's life, God hears and sees her. That's what she calls him. She calls him El Roi. She calls him the God who sees me. Uh, and, and this is the amazing promise of God, that in those seasons of waiting, when it feels like God's not following through on His promises, He's not abandoned us, He's not ignoring us, He's with us, He hears us, He sees us. Nicole C. Mullen uh, has this incredible 
music video I encourage you to look up at some point called The God Who Sees. And it begins with the story of Hagar and it ends um, with other stories in the Bible and ending with Mary Magdalene. But I want to share just a little bit of that um, video with you uh, as she tells the story of Hagar and God's promises to her and to us. She's crying in the desert She's lost in her despair She thinks nobody loves her Hey, God thinks nobody's there But God says I will be a ring of fire around her And I This idea that uh, in our waiting, God sees us is really, really powerful for me. Uh, I was talking with Joel Finnamore this week, and he told a story about a confirmation trip where they went to Urban Immersion, which is a ministry to the homeless in downtown Minneapolis. And they had um, an evening where they were able to speak with some of the guests there, and one of the homeless guys was talking with our students, and um, they asked, hey, what do you want? us to take away from this experience? I mean, other than just knowing a little bit of, of what it's like to be homeless, what do you want us to take away? How should we be different when we go back? And this gentleman said to our students, I want you to see me. I want you to see me. Um, people walk away from me and they don't look at me and uh, they don't stop on the street and when I talk to them, they just walk faster and I just want you to see me. I want you to know me as a person worthy of dignity and connection and relationship. And I think, boy, isn't that our story? Uh, yeah, absolutely, we are waiting for some of God's great promises to come true. But in that waiting, if we can just be seen, if we can just be heard, if we can know that the, the incredible difficult things that we're going through, we're not going through alone, but that God is with us, um, that sustains us in the waiting, 
God doesn't miracle away all our problems. He didn't do it for Abram and Sarai. He doesn't do it for Hagar. He's not going to do it for us. But God doesn't also ignore us or stand far off. And Abram and Sarai's frustration and inability to get pregnant, and Hagar's abuse and abandonment, and your crisis about work and career, and the question of whether you will ever be accepted, and the places of cyclical sins, and the undulating seasons of joy and sorrow, richness and dryness, lush gardens and parched deserts of your lives, you are not alone. Between the promise and the fulfilling, God sees us and hears us. Between the promise and the fulfilling, we are to trust that God will do what needs to be done. God is working His promises to completion. We just have to trust and obey. And I love the words of Peter as an encouragement to the church. I wish he could have said these words to Abram and Sarai, but the encouragement to the church in these verses in 1 Peter and those seasons of waiting is so powerful. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. We get to hear what Abraham and Sarai did not. I know the promises of God to you. I know that some have been filled and some have not been fulfilled. I know that the greatest of them cannot be fulfilled until Christ comes back and takes you where He is so that you can live forever in God's eternal home. Not, but all we're called to do is just do our job. Just do your job. Just trust and obey. Let God do His job to see and to do. And instead of getting trapped in the brokenness of a self-fulfilling prophecy, we can experience the joy of a God-fulfilled promise. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen.